This past uh, week, I was driving right back here on Proctor Road, and they were doing some uh, street work. And of course, you know, when they're doing street work uh, on a street like that, they narrow it down to one lane. And you have two guys standing, you know, about 500 yards apart, and they've got those signs. They flip around, right? One basically says stop. The other one says go. I think it says slow, but go, slow means go in this, in this uh, scenario. And so I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. I see the sign, and, uh, you know, it's, it says stop. So I'm the first one up. And the guy, you know, I can see him down there. He's got the stop sign held up. And uh, he went to flip it around. I said, oh, okay, he's flipping. So it's time for us to go. So I, I led the pack, a whole string of traffic coming right behind me. And the problem is he flipped it too far. And he flipped it in such a way that, uh, you know, I saw the flip, but it told the other people to go too. So we're heading there, the two streams of traffic heading right for each other. Of course, we, didn't, we were going so slow, we didn't hit each other. But it was just a mess after that because, you know, wh- where do you go after that, you know? So now you're, we're driving in the grass and hopefully not hit anywhere. And as I was going through that experience, I said, you know, this is the way the world works. It's, it's constantly say, come on, go, 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 go. You know, I sent you a text three minutes ago. How come you didn't get back to me? Did you get my email when you sent it 12 minutes ago? I mean, with technology, we're supposed to make things easy, and now it's made things like, go, 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 come on, come on, come on. Or don't wait, come on, move, move, move. You got to do, you got to get to work. You got to work more hours. In fact, you're probably not, you've got so much stuff and so much debt, you got to, now you got to work two jobs. You got to make sure you're doing all that. And the world is just constantly saying, it's flipping a sign like, come on, go, 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 go. And God is saying, wait. At the same time, the world is saying, pick it up. God is saying, slow down you got to stop in order to reach a certain level of depth. You have to stop in order to be able to reach a certain level of capabilities in this Christian journey, as we say. You know, at, uh, at, after the resurrection, Christ appeared to his disciples many times, we're told, by the way, over a period of about a month and a half, roughly. He appeared to them at the same time. And it wasn't like Bigfoot where only one guy saw him and like, yeah, I'm telling you, I saw him and nobody could believe him. That's the power. We've, we find that Paul tells us about that in, in Corinthians, that he appeared to over 500 men at the same time. I always say the power of the resurrection is not the absence of Christ in the tomb. It's the presence of his body after that, after he died. And so Christ comes to his disciples in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter, the book of Acts, by the way, is the recording for us, the history of the launch of the first church. And so Christ comes to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, because he came back in a bodily resurrection, not just a spirit, he gave them this command. Don't leave. Stop. Don't leave Jerusalem. But here it is. But wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about many times, by the way. What is that gift? John the Baptist baptized with water, but in a few days, he's telling them, God is going to immerse you, baptize you, inaugurate you, ignite you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when they met, after hearing this together, when they met together, they asked him, God, Lord, when are you gonna? When is this time you're gonna restore the kingdom? I mean, we gotta get things going here. And Christ was, I just told you to stop. I just told you to chill out. He says, settle down. 
It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Just chill. And I'll tell you again, you're going to receive power when you wait for the Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to come on you. And then you will be my witnesses. And then you'll have the capability, the spiritual empowerment of God to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. At the beginning of this conversation, he goes, don't leave Jerusalem. At the end of the conversation, like, go ahead and you're going to go to leave Jerusalem. And they're like, well, will you make up your mind? But there's this word that's a hinge in this conversation, and that word is wait. God says, look, I understand that you want to go. I believe that as we continue in this collection called the holy fight, that it is important for us to nestle our minds down into some of the things that are worth fighting for in this Christian experience. And I believe that in this culture, you would, you would agree with me that one of the, the things that we fight for, and these are holy fights, by the way, they're fights for their battles for things that really matter, that have deep significance, that have depth, that they're worth fighting for, for sacred reasons, that one of the things that you and I, especially in this culture, in a world that keeps flipping the sign around that says, go, one of the things that we have to fight for is waiting. It's a sacred fight because when we don't wait, what we are saying to God, whether we want to say it out loud or whether we just say it with our actions, what we are saying to God is that I can act independently of you as my source. Now, to date, I've been a Christian now for over 30 years. I've never heard any worship songs that have those kinds of words like, God, we don't need you, need you, need you, don't need you, we'll do our own thing, well, or, or something like that. Most of our songs say how much we need God. We believe that, I believe that, you believe that. But do our actions say otherwise? Because when we don't wait, we'll say, well, we'll just we'll leave Jerusalem on our own. Now, these fights that we are, in, are, are experience in life always have a light side and a dark side. The dark side, those things that say to us, well, we can do this, we don't need the bigger picture, all the things that we've seen worth fighting for. In this case, our fighting to, to, to wait, the, the dark side of that comes from somewhere. The Bible's very clear that in the spiritual battle, we have the Spirit of God living in us, and yet the Spirit of God is encased in our bodies, our flesh. And so within us, we have this civil war. Every single person sitting in this room can't say, I'm impervious to sin. I'm above it. I have, I've won the battle. I'm perfect. I have no temptations in my life that come to me that I just, it, I just brush them right off. We're all in this battle. They, came, they come from a place, and we know if you've read the Scripture enough, they come from our enemy. They come from our enemy who infused into uh, Adam these, the, this sense of self-will. And so, so many times you can go back to the Garden of Eden, you can think, well, that's why I'm acting like this, because I've examined what happened there in Adam's act of rebellion. And if you can't find the answer there in the Garden of Eden, you can actually go pre-Garden of Eden. You can go deeper in chapters like Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 when we see the fall not of Adam, but the fall of our enemy, the fall of Lucifer. 
And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I think it's important while we, we, when we start, it's, uh, it's, it's good for us to understand, why do I do that? Why is it that I just want to be independent and rush out the door? Well, let me tell you. When we find Ezekiel uh, 28 and, and, and Isaiah 14, we find that Lucifer at one point said, I will ascend to the throne, the throne of God, by the way. I will do this. I will do this. Five times he said, I will. And he was searching for one thing, independence. He was tired of being subservient to God. He was tired of having God as the resource. He wanted to be the resource. He wanted to be that source. He wanted to be in charge of everything. In other words, he wanted to be independent. Now, nobody in here would raise their hand if I said, okay, which one of you wants to be independent of God? No, I, I think if you're in your right mind, no one would raise their, ha their hand. But I do believe that unknowingly, sometimes our actions tend to be that way. You see, if I were to ask this question, it's now about 11.30. How many people in this room have not yet had any water today? Any water? Raise your hand. Yeah. Shame on you. Drink more water. Just kidding. <laughs> of those who raised their hand, how many of you didn't have any water yesterday? Anyone? Yes. You really need to drink some water. <laughs> how many people have never had any water their whole life? Ah, gotcha. <laughs> We drink water because we know intellectually that it's the right thing to do. I actually drink a lot of water every day. It's just kind of part of my routine. And many times I'm forcing myself to drink water because intellectually I know that that's the right thing to do. But there are other times where my body tells me, man, dude, you haven't had any water. I'm starting to feel parched. They say, by the way, by the time you're feeling parched, you're way past the point where you actually need water. And so uh, our bodies tell us there's indicators. Boy, I'm hungry. I need some food. Unfortunately, when it comes to God, we don't have these spiritual indicators all the time that say, oh man, you missed your time with God. And therefore, everything's falling apart. Or there's some kind of sensory action going on that says, boy, get with God. And for that reason, the independence that we act sometimes, not depending, not waiting on God, slips up on us. How many times have I gotten in the middle of my day, I'm like, ah, man, I didn't, I didn't get a drink, not of water, but a drink from God. Ever been there? Please say yes. Thank you. <laughs> One of these days you're going to say, nope, don't know what you're talking about there, Stephen. I'm really going to feel bad up here. We've been tracking the story of Joseph as we have gone through this holy fight, and here's why, for two reasons. First, Joseph was a fighter. Joseph was a holy fighter, in fact. Joseph fought for things that were worth fighting for, and he's teaching us, fight for these things. The second reason is this. Very unusually and uniquely, the life of Joseph parallels the life of Christ. Let me give you a review. Christ was sold by his own. He was sold out by his own, we're told in the first chapter of John. So was Joseph. He was sold out by his brother, sold into slavery. Joseph was accused of crimes that he did not commit the same for Christ. In fact, he hung on a cross for crimes, not one single one he committed, but God laid on him the sin, the crimes of the entire world, and he suffered for it. I remind you that Joseph was then placed in a dungeon, a cavity, for things that he didn't do, 
Christ suffered death on a cross and he was placed into the cavity in the ground. Joseph did not release himself, but he was released by someone, uh, by the king. Christ, as we learned on Easter morning, was not released. He just didn't kick open the tomb, but by the power of the Father, he raised Christ from the dead. We're told that Joseph, once he came out, he began his ministry, his service at 30 years old. The same thing for Christ. Joseph was sold for a handful of, of coins. So was Christ. There's these parallels that are quite amazing. And you'll, you're about to see another one that I find quite amazing today. Joseph, once he came out of prison, once he was released because he interpreted a dream of Pharaoh, that's how he got released, he was positioned in a place of authority. This is where we pick it up today in Genesis chapter 41. It's the beginning story of where Joseph, uh, we find uh, Joseph coming out of prison. As I mentioned last week, Joseph became what I'm going to call the Secretary of Agriculture. There were seven years of plenty that, were, that crops were growing, but God had indicated to, to him through dreams that there were going to be seven, uh, or more years of famine following those seven years of plenty. And so the Secretary of Agriculture, the position that he had, he began to collect food in Egypt. That's where he was living. Now, his father and his brothers, they thought he was dead because they sold him out and just didn't thought, thought everything was, had gone uh, hay, haywire, but he was still alive. Many people thought Christ was still dead, ineffective, but he was alive and positioned in a place, as you will see, that is remarkable. Joseph got out of prison. He was positioned as Secretary of Agriculture, and he collected food, he collected, he collected like we saw last week, and he stored all this food because he knew that there was a famine coming. We see in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 41, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, said to Joseph, now that he's in this position, I hereby, not in the past, this is a new position. Hereby means right now, I right now put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. This didn't happen. It could not happen while you were in prison. It did not happen before you were imprisoned. It didn't happen before you were falsely accused, but it happened all. You have to keep your mind in tune with the timeline. After you were released from this cavity, like Christ out of the grave, I now position you in a place of authority. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word... Joseph, without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Now, see, here's the thing that we're learning. Here's why we're looking at Joseph today. What I hope to accomplish, at least with some of you, I'm realistic enough to know that we won't accomplish it with everyone, but what I hope to accomplish with some of you is to create in your minds and in your hearts and in your wills, which will turn into your actions, a drive. What if, for instance, your waiting on God is weak, inconsistent, uh, spotty, whatever word you want to put on it, there are reasons that we're going to see in this story like, wow, I need to wait more. Even though the world is flipping its sign around saying, go, for these reasons that we're going to see, I believe that we should like, wow, I would be a fool I would be an absolute fool 
not to wait. Here's the first reason. There are only certain people that can distribute certain things. Let me explain. You walk into Walgreens. You are going to go pick up a prescription uh, drug. So you walk in. The first person you see is the clerk behind the cash register. And you walk up to the cash register and you say to him or her, hey, I'm here to pick up my prescription. And uh, I'm kind of in a hurry. So can you, can you just reach underneath the counter there and, and pull it out? I'll pay for it and be on my way. What's he or she going to say? I don't have the position. I don't have that capability. Well, now I'm pretty frustrated. I, I'm kind of in a hurry. I just wanted to kind of come right in the door and get my deal. Sorry, I can't do that. I'd like to see the manager. All right, manager's office is there. Take a, go in the back, take a left. You'll see his office. So I go, I see the manager. I, see, I, I go to talk to him or her. I'm like, look, I'm in a hurry. I couldn't get it there. I need my prescription drug because I'm in a rush. Can you please give it to her? What's he or she going to say? I'm not in the position. I'm not a, I can't distribute that. So you got to go around the corner. You got to stand there in that little line. You know, they put the pharmacist above you so that, you know, there's a sense of authority there. And you stand in line with everybody else that's hacking and coughing. You catch what they got. So you pick up more medicine. You know how that cycle goes. I always say I'm part Irish, part hypochondriac. That's why I do the drive-thru. This scenario has never happened to me. <laughs> so you're standing there in line. You finally come up to the window. You say, hey, I like my prescription. I've gone through all these rings. And, and so he or she says, okay, let me look you up. And they always type, what's your name? Blah, what's your address? Blah, blah, blah. You know what, uh, Mr. McCoy? Um, here's the deal. Uh, we don't have your prescription because we didn't get a call from the doctor. Oh, it goes back to the doctor. So I got to go to the doctor. I got to pick up the phone. I got to go back to the doctor because the doctor is the only one that can distribute the script, the word that says Steve McCoy can pick up his prescription. You see, in this day, what we find in this story when we're reading about Joseph is that he is the one that now had the authority to distribute. He is the one that says, okay, Pharaoh says, without your word, I can't distribute. Okay, here's the deal. We go to Christ not because of because his greatness, although he's great, not because he's loving, although he's loving. We go to Christ because he is the one that can distribute the things that no one else can distribute. Now, if you've been around 360 for any amount of time, you'll understand that we hold true Strongly, we, we put our roots uh, in, in the portion of the Scriptures that says, look, if we're going to experience any sense of true transformation, that's going to happen not in a large group setting, not even in a small group setting with 10 to 12 people, although we believe in small groups, but true transformation is going to happen when we begin to break relationships down to a one-to-one -one level. Many of you are experiencing that. But let me say with a great word of caution that they are not the substitute for the doctor, that we are all humans trying to help one another along down this field, but we can't say, oh, well, I have Marge to talk to, so that's all I need. I have Bob to talk to, and that's all that I need, because they cannot distribute. They're not in the position to distribute everything like Christ can. He is in the position. So we can say, well, I'll just go to God generically. No, you can't go to God. There's Christ and Christ alone. He is the one that can distribute. 
Watch what happens after the resurrection in Matthew 28. Jesus came to his disciples and he said this, I've been given a new position, post-cross, post-tomb, post-resurrection. Now, hereby, God the Father, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We told, we're told in Colossians chapter uh, 3, Colossians chapter 1, sorry, in verse 17, Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let me tie it together here. In other words, why should I be driven to wait on God before I cross my threshold every morning? Because he can distribute what others cannot. I can talk to others. I can talk to my wife, honey, I'm having a bad week, this, that, and the other. I can download, and she can say, hey, you know, you'll be fine. You've worked through this before, Uh, whatever. I can talk to my best friend who probably would say, hey, suck it up, Uh, you know, get down the road, whatever that may be. But there are deeper things in my inner body that only Christ can distribute to because he has the authority. Now, yesterday, we... We uh, spent some time talking uh, about some uh, recovery uh, programs and how God is part of many of those recovery programs, thankfully. But one of the things that I, I brought a little show and tell today, one of the things you may say, well, why is it that just human beings cannot help me with everything that I have? You see, Joseph was the man to go to. Why? Because of his position. So I, I got this, uh, I had my wife pick up this watering uh, jug here, uh, uh, and I tested this out this morning, by the way, in my kitchen. Didn't go real well. It was a lot of cleanup. I didn't know that these little things, the, the thing on the end, what's that called, nozzle or whatever, you had to screw it on, and uh, that didn't go great. So anyway, I, I, I'm ready to go. Let's say this is a planter. Can everybody see? I'll hold it up. And if I am um, in, in a lower position, I'm only covering the center of the planter. But the higher I go, the wider the distribution is. You see that? Huh? 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 (laughs) All right. Joseph was not in the position when he was in the prison to distribute. Christ was not in the position when he was on the cross It was because he came out and was lifted to a position that he could really help. Now, in many of these recovery programs, as we were talking about yesterday, which are fantastic, we support them, awesome. But they take on what's happening in our culture that there's just a generic God. In other words, give yourself to a higher power. I believe it's a wonderful beginning because when you begin to lean towards that, then I... I, pray and hope that Christ will begin to penetrate. But we can't leave it there, and we tend to leave it there in this culture. You're a God, my God, you're a God, everybody's God, it's all the same. So for many of you, you know that because you're Christ followers, but what I won't assume is that you know how to explain it to someone else. You're working with somebody, say, man, I got, I got some deep things going on. Hopefully you even get to that level of conversation rather than, hey, Bob, how's it going? How are the kids? But if you get to that level of conversation, man, I'm carrying some things. You see, it's not just generic God that can help. You say, well, I'm a Christ follower. And Christ has a a very unique 
distributing position. You see, Joseph became the great distributor. But Jesus is the distributor. He's got a very unique position. You know what the person's going to ask? Why Jesus? It's a great question. Why Jesus? Well, let me tell you. There's something that happened when Christ was positioned. We see it again in the story of Joseph. Watch this. In Genesis chapter 41, back to 41 in verse 56. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses. Not a committee, not just leader in general. It was a person with a real name. It was a single individual who only had the power to open up the storehouses. I'll tell you why in a minute. And he sold the grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries, the entire known world at the time, came to Egypt to buy grain from who? From Joseph, from a specific person, not just someone who was, uh, not just, oh, you got to go to Egypt as a country. You just got to go find a leader, anybody that can do. No, you got to go to Egypt. You have to go to a specific place, and you have to find a specific person. His name is Joseph. When people say, man, I'm in a deep way, man, I've got a hard chapter, you've got to go specifically to Jesus. Why Jesus? Oh, well, let me tell you why. Because Christ is the only one when we read the scriptures, he is the only one who has come back from the dead. He is the only one who has come back from the dead. He is the only one who has come back from the dead. Now, we get used to that in the Christian church, but he is the only one who came back from the dead. And here's the significance, because every other single religious leader on this planet who has ever lived in history is laying somewhere in a tomb or under the ground. They cannot be positioned to distribute. Just a religious name, we, t we throw it out. It's kind of cool to have Eastern religion and all this. Fine, but you cannot get the distribution power that Christ can provide because he came back from the dead. He was elevated with authority, and he's the only one who is high enough. See, everybody else is low. I'm low. I'm, I'm standing on the ground. Some other leaders, religious leaders, are lower than I am. What do you mean? They're six foot under the soil. You can't hold the water can high when you're six feet under the soil. Only Christ is positioned. Watch, John 16. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Every time he says this, I lean in. He says, oh, hey, listen. If you miss everything, don't miss this one. That's what it means. I tell you the truth. Look, you can take my word on this. He says, I tell you the truth. Because they were bummed out because he had told them that he was going to die and, and, and not be here physically. He said, it's good for you. It's good for your good that I am going away. Watch. Unless I go away. Unless I, am, I died, I'm crucified, I'm put in the cavity in the ground. And unless I'm lifted to a distribution power and position, the Holy Spirit, who you're waiting for, by the way, the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. You see, the challenge is that we seek our solutions from lower sources. And honestly, you know how much I believe in, man, if you need to go to counseling, go to counseling. 
If you need a 2 a.m. friend, go to a 2 a.m. friend. But they, again, are not substitutes for the highest power of Christ who can often dig deep in those inner cavities where no human can travel, Christ alone. In fact, we have our staff reading through a book. It's a wonderful book. It's called Relational Intelligence. You see, we talk so much about being a small circle relationships, 2 a.m. friends, close one-to-one relationships that we would be remiss if we didn't offer tools. Well, here's how, here's some tactics of how to do this. We go through this in discipleship. I just finished writing the, the third module, as we call it, six chapters in a module. That module had all the, everything to do with providing tools for people to, to, to have conversations, to navigate through conflict and what it takes to really build one-to-one relationships. For example, this book has a wonderful chapter on what's called story collecting. Men particularly are like, hey, where do you work? Oh, I work here. Uh, how many kids do you have? Okay, you have a pet? I mean, we're, we're limited. Men somehow are limited in our conversational skills. This one beautiful chapter talks about the tactics of how to ask more meaningful questions. That's good to have in a relationship. But I will say clearly that they're only tactics without the power of the Holy Spirit. They're just nails in a box. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to direct conversations, to to, to detect when someone says something that the Holy Spirit would say, hey, let me me, uh, draw your attention to that, especially when it comes to conflict. No matter how many tactics and plans we have, our three points here and four points here to say, here's how you work through a conflict, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And God would say, hey, before you try to tackle that conflict, wait. I don't care how, what kind of strategy you have planned. I don't care what plan you have. That's why I always couple relational intelligence book with another book that I've mentioned very often, which is The Safest Place on Earth by a guy named Larry Crabb because he digs deep into this and says, man, we are nothing without waiting. We're nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. For example, in dealing with conflict, he writes this, without finding the divine resources needed to support us through conflict. In other words, without waiting on God for him to infuse himself. If God, God's a gentleman, he'll say, go ahead and try to figure it out yourself. Oh, you, oh, you read a book. Well, cool. And then you got all the tactics you need. God says, no, don't. Wait. Stop. Without finding the divine resources the Holy Spirit needed to support us through conflict. To free us. To forgive And to truly love, we have no adequate response to conflict. We can't deal with conflict any more than a man with a dollar can buy a house. He doesn't have what it takes, and neither do we. So listen, in your dealings with people, in your interactions with people, you wait before you jump. In your work, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, in all the things that you do, in your task, everything you're doing, what God is saying, let me drive it because I'm the only person that can distribute what you need. You won't find it in your kids, although I know some of you are trying, trying to find fulfillment in your kids. You won't find peace outside of Christ who gives peace beyond understanding, although I know many people try. I know people who try to avoid conflict 
by any stretch of the imagination to make sure everything's right and all their, you know, all their feng shui is in order and all this, and they're trying to uh, humanly, mechanically make sure that life is peaceful. And God says, that stuff is too low to be able to distribute what you really need in the deepest part of you. Make sense? So first of all, we were driven to Christ. So I hope tomorrow when you wake up, you say, man, I don't want to leave my house without understanding that Christ is not only holding all things together, but Christ is in a position to distribute. And if you're a follower of Christ, you're in the distributing range where we'd like, wow, I'd be a fool not to take Christ up on that bargain because I have a relationship with him as such that if I get under the water of Christ's distribution, man, something great is going to happen. Secondly, let me say this to you. If you're going to look for lunch today after church and you think, man, I'm going to get something healthy, so I'm going to go to McDonald's. Okay, first of all, you're full, but <laughs> but it's the only place. It's you know, you're it's the only place you see. You're gonna go to McDonald's. You go, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna get something healthy. So I'm gonna go with the iceberg lettuce salad there, and uh, with those little yellow things on them. I think they're plastic, but they call them cheese, and uh, you know all that stuff and the locale dressing and whatnot. But on the way to McDonald's, you bypass this other joint. It's called Cheesecake Factory. Have you ever seen the menu? about that thick, about like my Bible. You see, the resources at McDonald's is so far less than the resources of the Cheesecake Factory because now, boy, I can get asparagus. You're not getting that at Mickey D's. Maybe it'd be like the, the asparagus or whatever we call it. <laughs> oh, boy. You're not getting salmon. I go to Cheesecake Factory, I get salmon. I like grilled salmon. They don't have the McSalmon there, you know, whatever. They got McRibs, though. Is that a real rib, honestly? (laughs) You understand, there's a limited amount from the things that we try to draw peace from, to draw strength from. They're limited in their menu. And what I've noticed is that I have to fight in my own mind fight against a small, reduced, minimalized picture of the vastness of God. Because the world says, come on and go, because you don't need them, because the menu is small anyway. And God says, oh, no, my menu is vast. Let me give you a picture. Cheesecake factory menu times 7 million. I've got everything you need, and sometimes we think, oh, God doesn't know about computer crashes. God says, oh, I know plenty about them. How how would Jesus Christ know anything about addictions that I face? Oh, he knows plenty about them. He's been dealing with the human race for thousands and thousands of years. He's experienced. You think, well, I can only go to a human. Well, go to a human, but don't substitute it for the distributing power of Christ because his, his resources are unlimited. Watch what happens with Joseph. Genesis chapter 41, verse 49. Joseph stored up, watch, huge quantities. What are the resources of God? They're huge. 
If Joseph's were huge, God's are a huge arama, huge amatic, ginormous. I can't think of a bigger word. Huge quantities of grain like sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records. Watch, because it was beyond measure. I'd be a fool to leave my house tomorrow morning without waiting for God, knowing that I know the only distributor in the entire planet who loves me, I've got distributing range, and his resources are unlimited. I'd be a fool, wouldn't you? I wonder why I did it yesterday. Because I forget these things. I'm like, oh, man. I'd be like driving past Cheesecake Factory. There's one coming to Sarasota, by the way. All right, then. And on opening day, it's going to open in October. On opening day, it says this. It says this. Everything is free on opening day. You tell me. I know you Christians. You eat a lot. You'd be there. I know it. I know you'd be there. Wouldn't you? I would. I'd get two salmons. I'd stick one in my pocket and have a salmon-sized grease stain on my pants pocket. See, Paul understood this. The apostle Paul. And he began to pray for a church in Ephesus. And he just didn't say, hey, I'm praying for y'all, as we'd say in the South. I'm praying specifically for something. We find his prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, church, I'm praying for you. And I'm praying that out of Christ's cheesecake factory menu, that out of his immeasurable glorious riches, I'm praying that out of that, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, the place that no one, listen, that no one can distribute except Christ and Christ alone because he's the only one, I'll say it again, who came back from the dead and positioned him, uh, himself in, in that place. He says this, uh, I also pray. You know, when I'm reading this prayer, by the way, I'm thinking, man, I haven't had a lot of people Come to me and say, I'm praying for you, that, but I'm specifically praying for you that God will broaden your eyesight this week, that out of Christ's immeasurable menu, that you'll, you'll begin to see that strength. Boy, couldn't, wouldn't that be cool if we changed our language rather than I'm just praying for you? I just think that's remarkable. And he says, let me tell you something else. I'm praying that you, being a Christian, being rooted and established in love, may have to power together with the rest of Christians, with the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Christ, who is the only one able, now to Christ, who is the only one able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to, which we'll come back to, his power that is work within us. To him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Because he's the only one. Oh, we should be so thankful that we know the only great distributor. Paul is saying, I'm praying that somehow you've reduced God to some small matchbox of what he can do for you and what you ask him for. Now, careful. Let me be very careful at this intersection. I fully understand and realize that in this culture, 
The guys on TV will tell you, now here's what that means, that God's going to work out all your problems, that there will be like a sitcom that every situation will end happy. It doesn't. I know Christians now that are in a hard way, but listen, it's not always about fixing the actual situation. It's about what God is doing here. Now, there are times where he fixes it. But God never gives us an indicator. Paul said, man, I got this thing. People argue about what that thing was, but he said, I got this thing. It's just, it, it is a, it's aggravating to me. It's, it's demonizing me. Whatever that thing was, some people say it's eyesight. Some people say it was an individual who was harassing him. Whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is that he said, God, I'm asking you to take it away. God, I'm asking you to take it away. God, I'm asking you to take it away. And God says, I'm not taking it away. My grace is sufficient for you. But what I am going to do, I'm going to guard your heart because you're becoming well-known from being proud. And I'm going to do an inner work because no other human being can do that in a man's heart. Only a man can say to me, hey, you're proud. Quit being proud. But God can create things around us. He says, oh, that situation, Paul. Ask Paul now. He's in heaven. What that situation? He goes, oh, that was nothing. God was doing, the great distributor was doing something greater in my heart. You see, whatever that deal you're going through, don't pray for that deal to be taken away only. If it's God's will, you take it away. But let me pray this, God, that you'll open my eyes to the immeasurable power that you are working in my heart and in my soul and in my mind and my will and my actions, molding me. Don't let me miss that, God. And I've got to wait for it in order for it to come. Now, let's go to the words according to. Have you ever been in a hurricane? Have you ever been in a hurricane? I have several. They're scary. You know, my first one, I'm like, ah, it's going to be a blast. It is not a blast. And I remember one time, my wife is always the one to say, you better tank up the car. And I'm like, thing's not coming our way. We lived on the East Coast. That's no, not coming our way. And they're closer and closer. And, you know, I'm the 128th person in the gas line when they slap the, 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 you know, the sign up there that says no more gas. So I went to the grocery store. Honestly, I can't describe the feeling. I've never experienced anything like it. The shelves were empty. Went to, the, went to the batteries, empty. Went to the canned goods, empty. It's like somebody had looted the whole place. I'm like, okay, my wife was right. She was definitely right. And I felt myself experiencing an emotion that, quite frankly, I had never experienced in my life of desperation. I remember turning around, and I went down aisle six. It was the bread aisle. There was one loaf of white bread on that shelf. In that aisle, there was an elderly lady. I'm about to confess a sin. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got the bread. I didn't touch her. <laughs> I got the bread. It's always these moments of sin confession. You like to say, well, that was before I became a Christian. You know, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, yeah, I was a Christian. I was a Christian leader. I went right for the bread. I surprised myself of the level of desperation I had. And I was desperate over a lousy loaf of white bread. But because of my desperation, I sprang for it. I literally did. 
I saw her going right for it. I kind of edged around there. Well, I sprang for it. I'm ashamed of it, kind of. <laughs> I would have shared it with her in heaven. I didn't. I would have shared it with her if it were my mother. Maybe. I'm kidding. <laughs> Listen. Christ is saying, Paul is praying, that all that I'm talking about today is according to. That we have got to play a part in this. We can't distribute the Holy Spirit. But it's according to our response and reaction to God. And our reaction to God is equally commensurate to our desperation or the lack thereof. So if you say, I wonder why it is that I feel that I can independently act without God, even though I wouldn't want to say it out loud, that I leave my home in the morning without waiting for God, without spending time. I'm not talking three minutes. I'm talking at least 20, 30, 40 minutes, an hour, whatever that may be, really, truly waiting on God. I'm getting ready to go into a conflict. Boy, I better wait on God. I wonder why that is. And I think that it's equal to our level or our lack of desperation because any, on that day, when I was desperate for food, you couldn't stand in my way. Trust me. It's according to that. So what the Scripture tells us before we leave this topic is this. When Joseph, who was positioned in a place of authority as the only one in the whole known world to be the great distributor, listen. He didn't make home deliveries. He didn't. They had to come to him. Watch. Genesis chapter 41, verse 57. All the countries, the entire known world, they did what? They came to Egypt to buy grain sustenance to get what they needed from Joseph. There is a picture that, that God would crystallize. They came, they had to come to a specific person, the only person who had the distributing power. Salvation in Christ is absolutely free. Salvation is, does not cost us a dime, but God says in order to, to receive it, you must come. You must come to him and say, God, I'm coming open-ended. God is a gentleman. I think he was born in the South. He doesn't force anything on anyone. That would not be true love, so he gives to us this, the most dangerous gift that God has ever given in the history of the human race, free choice. God said, Adam, I love you so much that I will not make you love me. I could have created a robot that does so much more than you and could be so more efficient in the garden because he'd never have to sleep, by the way. I never have to feed him, by the way. But I made you, and I really want to love you, and I really want you to love me, so I'm giving you the choice to come or not to come. What an amazingly authentic God we have. I'm glad God didn't make us to have to love him. Now, Joseph's Father, Jacob, who thought Joseph was dead, by the way, 
The brothers, who were hiding the whole thing but thought he was probably gone for, they also lived nearby Egypt, and they also, because all countries were experiencing famine. They were also experiencing famine. Jacob turns to Joseph's other brothers. They don't know where Joseph is. They don't know that he's positioned. They don't know any of that. But they did understand in the last emails that were going out on CNN and ABC and Fox News that, hey, there's food in Egypt. And if you want to go there, if you want it, you got to go. You got to come. They saw all those headlines. Jacob turns to the bros, his sons, and he says something that I believe that God would say to us today. Watch. Genesis chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he turned to his sons and he says, why do you just keep looking at each other, you morons? I put the moron part in. You can fill it in this verse. Why are you sitting here? There's grain to be had. There are resources. There's sustenance. Don't just sit here. He continued, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there, buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. God would say, why are you crossing that threshold of your front door? Stop, come, eat, drink. Christ said the same thing. John 7, 37, Jesus stood up, and in a loud voice, he says, if there's anyone who has an appetite... If there's anyone who's thirsty spiritually, if there's anyone that's starving spiritually, let him what? Come to me and drink. Come. God is saying, I don't make home deliveries because I need to know that you want it because your coming to me is commensurate with your appetite. I'm reminded as we close today of the story of Abraham. It's a phenomenal story. We, if you've been around the Christian faith, you know it well. But in case you don't, uh, Abraham was an older man, uh, way past 65. People lived longer then. They didn't have McDonald's. They only had Cheesecake Factory. And God came to him and said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, which seemed humanly improbable, but God miraculously had a child born through the, the union of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. As this boy, Isaac, their son, grew up, God called him to do something that we would consider insane. I want you to give up your son. I need to know. It was a test, we're told in Genesis 22. It's a test. I need to know how authentic and deep your love is. So Abraham did it. But listen, here's the point of the story. Because that story is told, I've told it many times with many different angles. But here's the thing that hits me about this. God didn't show up and say, I'm going to show up at your house to make it convenient. Because after all, man, we're talking 100 years or more. That's how old Abraham is. I'm going to make it easier for you. You see, the easy gospel, the easy version of Christianity is only preached in the church culture these days, not in the Scripture. That's the easy version. Oh, God will just do everything. He'll fix everything. He'll give you money. He'll make you healthy. He'll do all this. You know the Hebrew word. It's, thank you. Oh, you're so weak. Come on. Fooey. Fooey. That's not the God of the Scriptures. 
The God of the scripture says this is symbiotic. That I've died to, to position myself to distribute. But you've got to play a role too. I need to know how hungry you are. So Abraham didn't get the house visit. God said, come to the mountain. He didn't drive in a limousine. He was on probably like a mule. This old man on a mule. Can you imagine? Have you ever, have you ever spent an entire day on a mule? Huh? Anybody? No, I didn't think so. Me neither. Dude, I get burned out in my air-conditioned car driving over to Orlando. I'm really, I'm done. That's it. That's all the traveling I need for the next few months. I don't know these details, but it wouldn't surprise me that on day one it didn't torrentially downpour. That there was lightning, that the terrain was rugged. Why? Because it should have a price. When we come, it shouldn't just be, God, I'd like to swipe you and get everything of your resources in one easy swipe. I can't imagine how it felt for this old man in the saddle of a, of a mule on day one at the end. He must have been just barely climbing off the mule at the end of the day like, oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Oh, I got three, I got two more days, man. And he woke up the next morning and he went because he was hungry to meet with God. I think God would say, do you have that kind of hunger? I'm the great distributor, but come to me, not in such a cheap and shallow way. Day two, oh, I can't even imagine it. Day three, and at the end of day three, this old man had only reached, watch, the foot of the mountain. Because it wasn't only God that needed to know from Abraham. He wanted Abraham to know something deep. At the end of that third day, this old man named Abraham, he climbed up that mountain. And instead of having to sacrifice his son, as many of us know, God said, I'm going to give the world a picture. There's going to be a substitute. Watch. Genesis chapter 22, verse 13. At the top of the mountain, not in his house, not after day one, not after day two, not even after day three, but after day three in a mountain climb. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. Instead of his son, he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead. Oh, what a word. Instead of his son. Now watch. Here it is. So Abraham called that place. He didn't call his home that place. He didn't call the campgrounds of day one that place or day two that place, day three that place. But after coming to God with an incredible appetite, he called that place the Lord provides. God, said, God would say to us, oh, you want it easy. That's not that place. You have to come with great appetite, with great attitude, with great desperation, and then you will find that place, oh, God provides. A couple months ago, I challenged you to pray 20 minutes. Many of you took, it all, uh, took me up on it. Now, I know not everybody's going to do this challenge. I challenge you to pray an hour. It's tough. It's a fight. But things happen. 
promise you, just a few weeks ago, there was some collision going on. I know that's really unusual in a church. There was some collision going on. It was just weighing heavy on me. I talked to my wife. I, you know, I could talk to my wife. She'd go, you know, honey, come on. It'll be okay. You can work through it. I can read a book. I can get some tools. But I went to prayer. I went to prayer. And I, after 30 minutes, I don't know how to humanly put it into words. I don't. But after laboring in prayer, saying, God, I don't have the tools to do this. I don't have the tactics. I don't know. They're just, it's just like turning inside of me this thing. And somehow, arduously in prayer, in that place, I found that the Lord provides that somehow it would just lift it. Amazingly, supernaturally, I don't, I don't, phenomenally, magnificently, wonderfully, jazzingly, I don't know what the word would be. God did something in that place that no other person could do in any other place. How can we walk past that place to find that the God who provides is just waiting for us? Finally, let me tell you this story quickly. Spring break this past March, I went on vacation. And I don't know about you, but the day before vacation, it's nutty. You know, you're trying to get all the kids' stuff ready. You're trying to get all your stuff ready. You're, you know, the red suitcase, the blue suitcase. Who's got the red suitcase? Make sure the DVD players are in. Make sure you got the cables. Make sure you got the movies for the kids. Make sure you got the comic books and the coloring books. And make sure, and then, you know, you go and you forget all your clothes because you're taking care of everybody else. You know how that rolls. I always have a long task list because I'm trying to get everything done in my workload so that when I finally go, I can actually have a vacation. So it's, you know, I'm like, ah, that's how I describe it. So on the day we're leaving, you know, like the Beverly Hillbillies, the car looks like overloaded. And, I, and Carrie says to me, my wife says, hey, we don't, you know, I don't have uh, time to get the kids breakfast if we want to get on the road on time because that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Like, we're going to get there if we don't have anything. And, you know, so uh, they're going to leave. And so, they say, okay, here's the deal. Uh, drop me off at, at uh, this restaurant. I'll pick some food up for the kids. And meanwhile, I have to go and get, I like to get some cash on a, on a uh, vacation just in case. I always take more than I probably need. But anyway, I said, okay, I'll drop you off at the restaurant while I circle around, go through the drive-through in the bank. So I go through, I drop the kids off, I drop her off. I'm alone in my car. I'm going through the drive-through the bank. I take my debit card out. I put in a little tube thing that goes over to the teller. And I, I tell her I'd like, I need $500 because I'm, you know, I'm getting ready to leave town. She goes, okay, fine. She's doing her thing in there. I get a phone call. I get a phone call. I answer the phone. I'm like, hey, yeah, how's it going? Yeah, okay. And then I drive off. <laughs> she got my card. She got my 500 bucks. She got my whole account. She's probably in Tahiti right now somewhere. I pick up my wife, I pick up the kids, hey, go to, yeah, woo, I think we're going to be on time. Car's tanked up, we're ready to roll. We're gonna, going up north, I-75, like, whoo, finally got it, yeah, this is, uh, whoa, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute, I've left my whole life resources in the hands of Mrs. Somebody behind a glass window I can't even see. I've left them all behind. Would to God. That somewhere in our day, in your day tomorrow, you slam the brakes on like, wait a minute. I've left all my resources, which are available to my disposal, behind. That 
is the message that Christ, the great distributor, wants to send to your day. Wait! He doesn't say it softly. He sees the danger, the peril of not. And so I think the message today is like, hey, I got a suggestion. Now, I think Christ, the great distributor, says this, and I think he says it in a loud voice. Wait! 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 It's too dangerous. So come to me if you're thirsty. Father, thank you for this reminder. I'm guessing, including myself, there's not a single person in this room who doesn't need this sober reminder, God, to wait on you. Forgive us, God, when we've minimalized your resources in our mind to a McDonald's version in a small box. Forgive us, God, that even though we wouldn't want to say it out loud, we've exercised independence, acting as if our own tactics and strength can win the day. Forgive us, God, when we've been so desperately hunger, hungry that we've reached for a loaf of white bread, spiritually speaking. We've reached to a lower shelf rather than reach to you. God, we're thankful. In this moment, we're thankful that although every other religious leader lays entombed somewhere, Christ does not. We take it for granted, God, but sometimes we lose the implications of what that means. And today, God, we're reminded because Christ alone, because Christ alone is raised to a position of authority, of power, and distribution that we as followers of you, God, of you, Christ, are in the distribution range. Oh, we're fools if we pass it by. Remind us today, God, of the power of who you are and what you have. Remind us, God, that you're, you're limitless in how you can help our inner self. And so today, Father, I pray, God, that, you'll, that we'll hear your shouting voice that says, wait. And not only do I pray that we hear it, God, but I pray that we will wait. That what we know and what we believe will be converted into true and real actions. I pray this in Christ's name, the great distributor. Amen.